welcome to the Rainsville Educational Podcast. This podcast is used to help train and equip believers to become disciple makers to serve God's kingdom through the local church. Enjoy this next session as we talk about this week's spiritual rep. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to the rep this week. Well, this is the last week of our maturity series in which we've been discussing what we've called the marks that a maturing Christian bears in his or her life. It's not that this is an exhaustive list. I don't want you to take it like that. It's simply just five marks that we've covered over the last few weeks that I think show through in the life of a disciple who is maturing in their faith. But for clarity and review's sake, let's run through these first four marks at the speed of light. The first was being missional, which we identified as being involved in God's missional objective of reaching the nations with His glorious gospel. This involves praying for the nations, giving to God's mission financially, and certainly going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. The second mark was accountability, which we defined as the concept of really locking arms and helping one another, specifically in pursuing spiritual disciplines. The third mark, reproducible, we spoke of was this kind of intentionality in investing into the life of another person, uh, but not just investing anything, investing what God has taught you as a disciple yourself. The fourth mark we identified was communal which we defined last week probably more along the lines of that New Testament word konia, which is uh, the Greek word for fellowship, that sharing of life with the people of God. So here's mark number five, scriptural, which I think means being subject to the authority of God's Word and commanding and guiding your life and how you live it. Now, obviously, I could spend uh, an hour and probably quite a few hours in unpacking the doctrine of the authority of Scripture, but this is not a three-hour podcast. It's like a 10-minute soundbite to help encourage you on a week-to-week basis. And so let me try to explain how being scriptural, that is, subject to the authority of Scripture over our lives is a mark for maturity in the life of a disciple. Now here's my roadmap for how I'm going to attempt to do this by taking three simple steps. Step one, I'm going to show you that the Scripture explicitly teaches what I just said. That is, obeying and submitting to the authority of the Word of God is a mark of maturity. The second step I want to show you is I want to show you what immaturity looks like. Immaturity. That is, the lack of true knowledge. The third and final step I'll take is to show you how Mature disciples believe and know with confidence that submitting to the authority of God's Word is a good thing. First step is easy. I'm just literally going to read you one passage. It comes from a, a favorite book of mine, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. I'll read it to you real quick. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. For context's sake, the preacher of Hebrews, just so you know, is scolding his audience 
because instead of growing in knowledge of deeper things about God, such as the high priestly ministry of Jesus, they are actually struggling with maturing because of their fickle faith and disobedience to God's Word. I think that passage is enough in itself to show you that being obedient to Scripture is a definitive mark for maturity. But So, here we go. Steps 1 complete. On to step two, and actually I'm, I'm going to tackle steps two and three together in kind of the same step. Uh, you have to get a little creative when you only have just a few minutes to unpack such an explosive and huge doctrine. So I'll be looking at Genesis chapter three, verses one through eight, a very familiar passage for many of you I know. Let me read it to you first. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What we have in this passage is what I think is a classic example of what immaturity looks like, that is, immaturity. Here's what I mean, probably put in somewhat of a catchy statement. Eve thought that God's word was an obstruction to her happiness. Let me show you why I think that's what she was thinking in Genesis 3. First, it was the hook that Satan baited to tempt the appetite of Eve. Listen to how that serpentine whisper begins. With a clear distortion of the truth of God's word disguised in what seems to be just a harmless question. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Genesis 3.1 Interestingly, this prompted Eve to utter her own distortion of the truth, too, by adding her own stipulation, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Genesis 3.3 The truth is that God gave Adam and Eve freedom to eat from all the trees with the exception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was no stipulation from God about touching it. That was Eve's addition. I suppose the argument could be made that Eve's addition was just intended to prevent her from even coming into the temptation of eating from the tree. But at the same time, it was still an added distortion of God's truth. It reeked with the joyless odor of legalism. But I want us to note the intention that the devil had, the goal that the devil had here in his conversation. Because his desire is pretty clear. It was to deceive Eve into believing that God was holding out on her. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3.5 The devil's intent here was to persuade Eve to believe that this word from God was an obstruction to her happiness. Well, the trap had been set. The guile of the tempter's trick had taken root in the heart of Eve. 
what was at first a subtle distortion quickly becomes a bold-faced accusation. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. So not only is the serpent here, the devil, suggesting that God is holding out on Adam and Eve somewhat, but buried within that serpentine talk is this false promise that sin will ultimately bring them happiness, which it won't. It's hard to pick that up, I think, in the English, but the Hebrew in this text it, the Hebrew in this text really illuminates this thought. First, it's the use of Elohim to describe the devil's predicted outcome should Eve follow through with his invitation to sin against God. The English Standard Version reads the Hebrew text this way, And you will be like God, Elohim. It's actually the same Hebrew word used at the beginning of the verse to refer to God himself when it says, for God, Elohim, knows. Now the big question is how exactly will Adam and Eve become like God? They've already been made in the image of God. Well, the serpent suggests that it will be by this somewhat new ability of knowing good and evil. Again, the Hebrew is very informative here because the word yada used here is translated into the English word know. It really hints in the Hebrew language at this idea of being wise, which in the context here would be better understood as the ability and authority, really, to decide what is right and what is wrong. What began as a subtle invitation to doubt has quickly become an invitation to autonomy, that is, in their minds, freedom from God. So the devil's first trick here was deceiving Eve to believe that God was restricting her happiness. The devil's second trick was deceiving Eve to believe that freedom from God was what she truly needed and wanted. However, what the devil didn't tell her was that this so-called freedom wasn't what she really imagined it would be. As the next verses, verses 6-8 through eight, reveal, it ironically led her to slavery and would ultimately put her in the most unhappy state. Our first parents show a lot of immaturity here spiritually because it's quite obvious that they think that the Word of God is an obstruction to their happiness. That's everything wrapped up in the temptation. Mature disciples are not so easily duped. They understand that the Word of God is actually an avenue to their happiness. Just as the psalmist sings in the opening psalm, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And just as Paul concludes in his lengthy discussion on God's saving purposes in the book of Romans, he says this in the 12th chapter, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, that's the talk of a mature believer. That's the talk of someone who is skilled in the word of righteousness. 
That's the talk of someone who has learned to discern what to distinguish between what is good and evil, not by their own wisdom, but by the authority of Scripture. So here we have it, Mark number 5, being subject to the authority of Scripture and knowing that you are not being robbed of joy, but being led more deeply into it. I hope you have a good week. I look forward to seeing you soon. Blessings.